welcome once more to the Race MotoGP podcast. MotoGP for 2020 is turning up to be, well, something almost once in a decade, once in a lifetime, because after just three of the 14 Grand Prix, after the Czech Republic Grand Prix in Brno, what can I say but... Wow, amazing, unbelievable. Brad Binder on a KTM in his third ever Grand Prix wins a MotoGP race. And for KTM, now in their fourth season, they win their first MotoGP Grand Prix. Didn't have it in the script, don't know what to say. Franco Morbidelli on the podium right behind him. And Johan Zarco, who got pole position in Saturday's qualifying, he got third position, including serving a long lap penalty after a clash, controversially so, with Paul Espargaro. There is still no Marc Marquez. He has decided to really stand back and be away after discovering that he had bent the titanium plate in his broken right arm after apparently opening a window. But we will get back to that in a minute. As it stands at the moment, Fabio Quattararo leads the MotoGP World Championship 17 points ahead of Vinales and Morbidelli. Vinales, who had an Utter disaster. It was worse than a track day for him yesterday in Brno. And it's Simon Patterson who's going to fill us all in with the ins and outs with myself, Toby Moody. Simon, where do we start? I've I've lost the thesaurus. I've run out of words. I haven't got a clue. Um, it was one of those races where whenever everything had uh, calmed down at the end of it, you find yourself just looking at the laptop and thinking... How do I even start writing about this? Like, there were so many stories from yesterday's race. So many things happened. So many highs and lows and twists and turns. Um, and, and, you know, the complete and utter surprise that was Brad Bender giving KTM their first win, giving himself his first win three races into his MotoGP career. It's just astonishing, really. I'm not saying this to sound clever, but... You know, I, I saw him at Silverstone on a one two five in a in a BSB championship one off appearance back ten years ago or so. I've got a picture of him on a on the back of a trailer with his brother, his dad, and Tom Jojic, who was engineering him that uh, that that weekend at Silverstone. <laughs> and Tom said to me, "This kid, he's something. He's he's something." Mm-hmm. I worked at KTM then in twenty seventeen. Binder was in Moto2 with Oliveira, and I just thought, wow, you're something else. Yes, he was always going to win a MotoGP race, but it's the fact, Simon, it's been so quick, so soon, and in the dry. Yeah, there's no Marquez. Marquez would have been beaten yesterday. Yeah, I think so, the way that Binder wrote. And and you look at the list of riders who have won a race in their rookie season. You're talking Lorenzo, Pedroza, Marquez, Rossi. It's a very, very exclusive list who've managed to do that. You know, uh, people like Stoner couldn't do it. No. And yet Bender's rocked in and, and just blowing them away, rode a supremely intelligent race, never put a foot wrong. He looked like he'd been riding MotoGP bikes all his life. Not for three races. And for Brad Binder to win his third race, that's quicker than Pedroza won his first race because it took him four Grand Prix just the four, by the way, yeah. in 2006 when yeah. he was a rookie in MotoGP as well. Quite staggering, quite staggering. Um, yeah, they've never been short of power with that KTM. That was never a problem when they came to the grid back in, 
in 2017. But of course, it's all about the talk and how you get it to the ground. And that's the difficult bit that I learned so much about as being in a MotoGP team from some of the engineers, how I they get their head around it. I just don't know. <laughs> but it's all worked out well at the moment. And they've got a fighter. And he's got really, Simon, that that Southern Hemisphere rugby fight. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. There's just something about him. Um, obviously, we've got his brother in the championship as well. And you could definitely say that Darren has also got that rugby fight in him. But the two of them use it in very different ways. Brad is so much more controlled. He's aggressive, but he knows when to be aggressive. He's never wild, even though he can be, a, you know, pretty hard charging and a pretty tough guy to race against. It's almost like all that aggression is there, but it's tempered with intelligence because he's a smart guy as well. And that, whenever you look at the guys that have been fast traditionally in MotoGP, you have to be smart as well as talented. Absolutely, absolutely. You you can have all the speed in the world, but if you put it through the hedge, people just run out of out of time and and, and run out of patience. Yeah. And 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 for the Austrian manufacturer, largest European motorcycle manufacturer. They've now got what they always wanted, which is somebody to, to 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 jump from Red Bull rookies to Moto Three. He won in those two. Then he won in Moto Two, and now he's won in Moto GP. And uh, you know, I I've got a feel for those guys in Matikofen, which is where KTM are based. You know, they're they're a dirt bike manufacturer, and they <laughs> and they and they said, right, okay, right, well, we're we're going to go into to one two five Grand Prix racing in the early zeros, and Okay, right. They started to bring out road bikes, winning Dakar. In the meantime, winning Dakar, they won it all from 2001 until this year. And it was that last mountain to climb. But of course, it's the steepest one, isn't it? I'm not saying that winning the Dakar is easy or a motocross world championship or an enduro or, or, a, moto, or, or a moto three championship, but... It's war in MotoGP. It's war. And here yeah. they are. They've done it. So uh, I, I I feel for the guys there because there's been some difficult days, I'm sure. Difficult days indeed. But, but yeah, let's see. Let's see how they continue because one swallow doesn't make a summer and all those one-liners. Well, th- that's it. An amazing stat I have to throw out from the venerable Dr. Martin Rains. It's the first time that a non-Japanese or non-Italian bike has won a Premier Glass Grand Prix since the 1973 Yugoslavian Grand Prix was won by Kim Newcomb and Koenig. Crikey O'Reilly. <laughs> that shows just how big of a, a hill they had to climb to get to where they are. You know, there's no race, no on-road racing tradition there, not like Honda, not like Ducati. And like you say, they, you know, they've decided because of a a very headstrong, very powerful CEO who likes to win, he decided, you know what, we're going to win at this too. And by throwing really talented people at it, they've done it. Yeah, yeah. And they haven't got the the oil tanker mentality of a large corporation, which I sense Valentino hit the wall with after Hareth won with the Japanese, yes. of course. You know, I had to yes. say things, and then, of course, he gets on the podium a week later. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, they, they haven't got all the money in the world like people make out. Uh, I'm not going to divulge secrets, but they ha- they've, got, they've got good budget, but they haven't mm-hmm. got HRC budget. Uh, no. that, that just doesn't exist in Europe. But... 
it's also potentially if this continues and they're knocking on the door of a championship whenever that that may be it's a balance of power in the politics of the sports you know it was always traditionally the the four japanese on the gpma uh, grand prix motorcycle manufacturers association which sort of molded the rules and when the, when all the japanese stuck together then the europeans couldn't outvote them well, things may change now, and if another European manufacturer steps up, who knows what Triumph may do in the future? You just never know. Um, it'd be interesting to uh, interesting to see. But yeah, coming back to the to the racing itself, he was he was a blame. He pulled a blinder off the line. The pair of them had an absolute belting start. He and Paul Espargaro, and then yeah. Bender just wore down. Uh, Morbidelli, who was leading at the time, passed him, and that was it. I mean, I made a lap chart and, and, a, and a time split, and he was just pulverizing. He was just gone. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's if it's some... I think he doesn't really know, to be honest, having spoken to him last night, whether it's something about the KTM and the way it preserves tyres, if it's something about his innate riding style that just lets him manage things a little bit better. But, you know vastly more experienced guys, race winners like Fabio Quartararo, were spinning the back wheel to destruction and he was just cruising around behind them waiting on his moment to strike. And there we were a couple of weeks ago, Simon, saying, oh, well, you know that Andrea De Vizioso on the works Ducati, when he gets to Bruno, he'll be all right. What an unmitigated disaster. I posted last night shortly after the race to say that I think we'll remember... Bruno 2020 and Andrea De Vizioso's time at Ducati, the way that we remember Termas de Rio Hondo 2016 and Andrea Iannone's time in the Ducati. That's the day it ended. I am convinced that given that performance at a circuit where he should have been good and given the way the odds are stacked against him at Ducati, that's the day that he stopped being a Ducati rider. Because he finished 11th. Uh, his teammate yeah. was behind him, but of course the Pramac Ducatis were in front of him. Uh, sorry, well, not the Pramac. One of them sorry. was. One of them wasn't there. One of the. I mean, I mean, Zarco plus uh, yes. uh, uh, Miller. Blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I dread to think of the politics going on at uh, at Works Ducati at the moment. I don't even want to think about it. But um, in and and, and Vinales, complete disaster as well. But let's just park that for a minute and. We can say I can say that Vinales had a problem because he was second last in the points, fourteenth, and Morbidelli is second after having won the Grand Prix. So, how the Dickens is it all been flipped? What what is the story with Yamaha? How how many times have we seen it? A satellite Yamaha in low grip conditions that's able to perform because the rider just gets on with it, and a factory bike that struggles because they're chasing their tails. You know the the only difference today from. Uh, multiple races last year is that it's Franco Morbidelli at the front and Fabio Quattararo on his new factory bike that's that's lost again because he was P7 well behind Valentino Rossi as well. Mm. It does make me wonder whether Rossi's, the, the, the radical setup changes that he had to argue to get that you alluded to last week uh, in Jerez, whether or not that has actually given them something in these conditions. And obviously, if he's going to share it with another Yamaha rider, he's going to share it with protege, little brother, nephew, best friend, Franco Morbidelli. Very true, very true. But the, but the engineers and the data guys will see everything. You can't hide too much nowadays that 
puts that much of a difference between Morbidelli second and Quattararo in seventh, uh, another 6.4 seconds back. So, yeah, I hear what you say. I, you can't hide it, but you can't have engineers that say you can't do that. Yeah. Unless you're Valentino Unless you're Rossi. Rossi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or a satellite radar on an old bike that no one really cares about. Mm-hmm. Air temperature, 30 degrees. Ground temperature, yeah, pretty good. 46 degrees yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Celsius. Hot enough. Hot stuff. Hot enough Hot stuff. Here. Um, interesting little slightly nerdy stat. Lap more in the race this year than last year. So let's take off the fastest lap this year and take it back to the same amount of laps last mm. year when Marquez was victorious. 15 seconds slower this year. Yeah. So give or take over the 20 laps, it's just under a second uh, a, lap, a lap difference. But as I said, I strongly believe that Marquez would have been beaten yesterday. I think that that has very little to do with the pace of the race and a lot to do with how much the Bruno circuit has degraded over the past year. Uh, The guys spent all weekend talking about the need for a resurfacing, how bad it had got. Uh, The word disaster was chucked around a few times. Um, Too dangerous to race on, not MotoGP standard anymore. So uh, it sounds, from talking to some of the guys yesterday, it sounds like there will be a resurfacing uh happened before next year's race because obviously this year's circuit the track that they raced on yesterday is now 12 years old which is an awful lot of bumps and crashes and scrapes and you know circuits aren't meant to last that long we know that Bruno is not the most financially stable of tracks um but hopefully you know they'll invest in it they'll put down a new surface they'll pay the however many million euros it takes and then it means we can keep going there because I think everybody in the paddock loves going to Bordeaux fastest and obviously there's so much history exactly well. exactly going all the way to pre-war uh, and, 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 and the fastest lap in the Grand Prix yesterday was half a second off the fastest lap of 12 yeah. months ago so you know we're nearly comparing apples with apples but maybe one apple's just a little bit bigger than another but we're certainly not got an orange in the mix except if you're on the bike that win that wins <laughs> hey boom boom. <laughs> boom boom what about zarko i i was i was out and about on on saturday and i had a text message from my wife zarko on pole i just went wow it's going to be one of those years one of those weekends third position at yeah. the end of the race including a long lap penalty after a a clash with Paulus Bargaro. Let's just go back to qualifying first, shall we, Simon? He's alive. He's got it. Yeah, it's just it's just clicked. Um, he has finally found the secret to riding the Ducati, which ironically is doing what he did at Yamaha and just copying what Jorge Lorenzo used to do. Uh, that bike is built for Lorenzo, even though he has never rode it. Uh, Zarco spent a long time at Yamaha perfecting how to ride like Lorenzo and it's translated over beautifully and now he's got a bike that he can ride he's got a team that I think even he would admit to being stunningly surprised at how good they actually are after saying he never wanted to ride for them not that many months ago and it's just all come together for him you know uh, he's getting fantastic support from Ducati you could see that in pit lane yesterday after he was penalised uh, from how how aggressive senior Ducati management were trying to fight his corner for him. Uh, 
And yeah, it's just, and he's like a completely different character. He's been funny, he's been relaxed, he's been joking all weekend, which even even in the heydays of the Yamaha time, he never was. He was never that guy. So uh, it seems like a little bit of maturity, finding his feet again, getting rid of, um, you know, a, a few rough months at KTM have all done him the power of good. And who knows what's going to happen next? Yeah, mentally, he's obviously back in his happy place. It's 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 harder to tune the bike than to 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 tune the rider's mind, and he put it on pole by <laughs> point three of a second. I mean, that's a big lump. That that's a big lump. Yeah. Uh, in in this day and age of close MotoGP, particularly on on Friday when it was ridiculously close, but of course it always settles out come come Saturday afternoon. Yeah. Um, he then has a has a has a cracking race. Polis Bargaro's up there. Spargaro. Made a bit of a Horlicks coming up the hill into the final corner. Lost the front, went wide, lost his momentum, overcompensated at the first corner, went wide, came back. Zarco went, I'm going for the gap. It's a late apex there. I've looked at it a bit. I've listened to what Simon Crayfar says. He should know. He's ridden faster and further than all of us put together twice. And he said, well... You know, the stoners piled in on social media saying, well, it was it was a disgraceful decision to give Zarco a uh, a penalty for knocking off Polis Bargaro. I, I don't know how to call it. And I usually have a, an opinion, <laughs> but I don't know. You? I always have an opinion. Um, I have noticed. <laughs> I'm going to leave that. Joke. I'm going to leave that. Uh, joke. Uh, I yeah. think race control were a joke yesterday. I think Zarco did nothing wrong at all and that they made the wrong call. But unfortunately, they made the call with a penalty, an in-race penalty that can't be appealed. Uh, Paul made a mistake, pure and simple. He went wide. He hooked back in front of a Johan Zarco who couldn't see him because he was hanging off the side of the bike. And, you know, Zarco had very little to say about it after the race, but he did say, I was on my racing line. It's your job not to ride into me on the line. And it, it is worth noting as well, because Simon Crayfire was one of Paul's strongest defendants yesterday. Simon did change his mind last night, went on social media to say, I've watched it from the helicopter. He was really, really wide. Zarco was in the right. Um... Mm. Yeah, I haven't found anyone outside of the KTM camp that thinks that Paul was correct there or that race control were right. Um, yeah, and unfortunately, it's not the first time we've seen race control make decisions that leave you thinking, hmm, really? Which begs the question, they really need somebody on race control who's ridden a motorbike in the last 10 years, not the last 30 yeah. That's the thing. Um, everyone was excited. Is that about the age gap? No, it's further than that, isn't it? Well, Spencer. Spencer. You know, what? 85, 86, yeah. he last rode or something or other. Yeah. 35 Maybe years ago. Years ago. Yeah. You, you just need somebody with an idea of how the things turn. What are the tires like? Uh, vision, crash helmets, they're different yeah. aperture nowadays. That's it, that's it. Uh, the bubble, the noise, the the, 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 the circuits. Yeah. Half of them are new to, to yeah. older riders. Blah, blah, blah. It does beg a question. You know, put a... I need to think of somebody, but, you know... A Sete Chibonneau. A Sete, a Hoffman, if he wasn't yes. commentating. Exactly. A, a somebody like that. A yes. Olivier Jacques. A, yeah. a somebody who yeah. would... A Sylvain Gantoli. Uh, yeah, 
one of those yeah. modern writers, intelligent guys, yeah. has the credit, has the kudos to tell a writer, I know what I'm talking about. Now, Loris Caparossi is on there, but it's he's a bit race control, and is he a steward? No, he's not. Yeah, so, he's, he's not actually on the FIM stewards panel. There's also there's also a bit of an issue with Loris in that it would be very difficult to have someone who's still an employee of Aprilia handing down penalties against other manufacturers. Quite. Same as, uh, you know, the likes of mm. Biagi. Mm. Doing. Yeah. They're all brand yeah. ambassadors still. Mm, yeah. You know. And don't get me wrong, I know that Dorna aren't always opposed to that, given that their director of talent is also the boss of uh, HRC. But as far as I'm concerned, you need someone that's completely impartial, completely non-affiliated to a manufacturer or a team or a writer. or, mm. And you need someone that's personable and, and communicative because, you know, a large part of the problem with Spencer from, from listening to some of the guys is that he's very difficult to deal with. Mm. Uh, it's his way or the highway with no... And if you don't agree with it, it's not that he's going to try and explain to you why you're wrong. He's just going to tell you you're wrong. And that doesn't fix the problem. That doesn't let people correct their ways. Very difficult. But uh, Zarko did his long lap around the stadium area. What a, what a manoeuvre. <laughs> it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, I, I, just to show, just to show uh, how much of a changed character he is this year, we asked him about it at the press conference and he said, well, I don't think I did anything particularly special. I just rode around. But Ducati have given me a multistrata and I spend a lot of time going very fast around the outside of dirty roundabouts. So maybe that there helped. There you go. There you go. Very good. Very good. No, I, I think it's uh, it's great. And remember, that that little team, they've had floor sweepings of bikes in the past few years. They've got a good bike now. They've got a hell of a rider on it. For them to get a podium, that's almost as big as, as winning the race for those guys. Absolutely it is. Absolutely it is. Okay, so Zarco, third position, finishing off the podium after Morbidelli. Uh, Alex Rins, likewise, those guys, fourth position for Suzuki. So four different manufacturers in the first four places. Uh, footage on their social media welcoming Rins back to the garage. And again, you know, the Brevio brothers were, were on their knees mobbing him uh, as he came back in. That's a huge result for Rins. Absolutely it is. Given the injuries he's carrying, given how it looked like his championship was potentially over, what he's done there to deliver that result, to look comfortable doing it, to be in podium contention, yeah, very, very impressed with that. Um, he kind of admitted after the race that he could have won it if he wasn't injured, but he wasn't looking for the win um, given, how, uh, given how strong the race had been and given how difficult you know the last few weeks has been there's a lot to be said sometimes for breaking a bone um for having a clean break being able to slap a titanium plate on it and carry on racing muscle damage ligament damage tendon damage that's completely different and that's you know that's what he's fighting against that's the uh that's the problems he's had so to turn it around so well yeah very very impressed with him 
Yeah, for, for Alex Rins after making such a mess at Hareth 1, and then he's nearly on the podium, only 0. 0.2, 0. 0.13 of a second off the podium, in fact. That's that's quite something. Rossi, he was fifth, but he was almost invisible. Was it me? A lot of people were very invisible in yesterday's race. I think it's because there was so much drama going on. <laughs> he, uh, he was really happy with his performance, actually. I think he realised the problems that all the Yamahas were having, apart from Franco, he limited the damage. Uh, he kept things steady, and he said afterwards, "You know, my biggest problem was qualifying. I started from the fourth row. If I'd started from the second row, I would have won that race." Mm. Which, um, you know, it, it's it's less and less that we've heard that sort of confidence from him in recent years. So to hear him come out and say, yeah, I'd have been in that fight with no questions about it, instead of saying, oh, we would never have been able to win today, that's pretty reassuring if you're a Valentino Rossi fan, I think. Certainly is, certainly is. Miguel Oliveira behind Valentino by, you know, a tenth and a bit. Uh, his best results on in, in MotoGP, on the Tech 3 KTM. What a day, what a day for, uh, for the Orange team at, they had, of course, gone testing this year at Bruno with Danny Pedrosa. So yes, they did. They did have more of an idea of the grip that we touched on a moment ago, and the fact that it wasn't as good as last year. As I said, the fastest lap in the Grand Prix was half a second slower than twelve months ago. Race was a little bit slower as well over the pro rata same laps, but KTM did see what would happen more than the others, shall I politely say? If if things... Yeah, they did. They, they gained a benefit um, of some sort. I don't know how, how much you can say, you know, how big a benefit it was, because at the end of the day, none of the guys who were racing yesterday rode the track, only Danny Pedrosa rode it. And, you know, everyone else had two days of testing as well. Everyone else had two days on track, Friday and Saturday, to find a setup, just like their race guys. They might have had a little bit more data, but then, you know, every other team in the championship has 40 years of data from Bruno. KTM have four. So you can't really grudge them the advantage of, uh, of you know, their test rider riding around for two days. It's worth picking up what you said about Oliveira, uh, because from what I understand, from looking at the lap times... He's another one that was screwed over by his qualifying position. Um, I was talking to a friend last night who's uh, someone inside the paddock who's an avid Miguel Oliveira fan from his Red Bull rookie days and has a fr another friend who isn't an Oliveira fan. So he was telling me, oh, yeah, I wind up my mate constantly. I text him every lap that Oliveira is the fastest guy on track. And during yesterday's 24 or 20 lap race, Oliveira was the fastest guy on track for eight laps. Oliveira was convinced that he would have won the race, not Binder, if he'd been starting from the front two rows. Well, Paul Espigaro, of course, also convinced he was going to win the race if he hadn't had the collision with Johan Zarco. Oh, he, so, he wouldn't have slept last night. No. I, it was like someone had stolen his puppy yesterday in his debrief. I've never seen a rider so heartbroken from, for, yeah. for so many reasons, you know? For so many reasons. He felt he was hardly hard done by on Saturday by race control. He felt that he was hard done by on Sunday by Zarco. And then the bike that he spent four years developing wins with someone else on it. Mm. You've got to feel for the yeah, guy. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, he, he's a brave soul. He's a brave soul, Paul. Uh, I'll give him that. You know, 
uh, I, I, I saw him. I saw him when the doors were closed, you know, and there was one race, and he came in and he couldn't get off the bike in 2017. I haven't told this to anybody. He came in and he couldn't he couldn't get off the bike, and he we got him down, sat him in the chair, took his helmet off, and he was sick. And he said, I can't remember the last six laps. He said, I just, I just, I, I don't know where. I, and he was, he was white. He, he was a ghost. Yeah. And normally they get off and they're boiling hot and they've got yeah. faces like beetroots and, and all that kind of, No, he was absolutely, and he was wow. a medical center and everything. And yeah. It was all a bit touch and go for a bit. And I thought. Bloody hell, these guys are committed. I mean, God in heaven. And and this is a guy that's raced the Suzuki 8R and knows what heat is like. And then bike. yesterday happened and he didn't get the trophy. Yeah. He will one oh, day. Oh, yeah, he, he will. will. He'll he win will. one before the race, before the season ends, before he heads to Repsol Honda. What in heaven's name at Bruneau 2020 happened to Honda? Takagi Nakagami leading Honda over the line in eighth position, works Honda rider Alex Marquez 15th and one point, standing rider, let's give him some credit, Stefan Bradl in 18th, whilst Cal Crutchlow was just a couple ahead of Alex Marquez, rookie in 13th position. What is going on? I think it's it's exactly what we prophesied would happen. Honda put all their eggs in one basket. The bottom fell out of the basket when Mark Marquez crashed at Hareth 1 and no one else can ride the bike. We know that Cal Crutchlow is capable of riding the bike on his day, but the guy's injured. You know, it's only 10 days since he had an operation to put a screw into his wrist. And they've got no depth of field. They've got no other superstars like Marquez. They've got a bike that's almost impossible to ride. And they're paying the price for it. And, and since our last podcast, Alberto Pooch, team manager, team principal at uh, Repsol Honda HRC, said... Omar bent the titanium plate in his arm, opening a big window at home. How big is that window, Simon? Is it measured in <laughs> hectares so I've, or on a map? I've, I've had a few conversations. Uh, I've got a few friends who are uh, orthopaedic surgeons. We've had a conversation about this. They buy the excuse, believe it or not. They believe that he probably did. But that it's a consequence of the amazing amount of stress that he'd already put through the titanium plate, riding a 300 brake horsepower MotoGP bike four days after having the plate installed, and then spending a week in the gym trying to get ready again. It's just, it's a consequence of, uh, it's a consequence of, of what he did. You know, wings fall off airplanes, or they, they used to, but they never did it on the plane's first flight, they did it on the plane's 50th flight or 100th flight. It's a stress fracture. That's exactly what's happened to Plate. Um, he did too much. You know, we said it last week that he'd done too much too soon. Um, mm, this is the proof. Mm, mm. And he's obviously sat out Bruno, and he's going to sit out two Austrias. Yes, he is indeed. Uh, official confirmation on that just before we started recording. Uh, Stefan Bradl confirming that he'd ride the next two races. Aprilia. Aprilia with Alicia Spargaro, great start to the race, and I was all up for, for the two Aspargaros having a battle which does cause me to draw breath because it's <laughs> always going to end in tears. Um, uh, at least he got to the finish this week. Uh, tenth position for Aleish. Uh, Bradley Smith, a little bit further back in 17th, but 
At least he got to the finish. And hey, Aprilia ahead of both works, full red Ducatis of Davizioso and Petrucci. So a step in the right direction, the press release probably Yeah, they, they needed to finish races. Aleish needed needed to score after crashing out of both Hareth races. They always knew it was going to be tough for them at Bruno. It's not a circuit that plays to the strength of the Aprilia. Um, basically, anywhere that doesn't have insanely hard braking isn't an Aprilia circuit and all those big sweepy corners just aren't what they're good at so it was damage limitation it was get through the weekend it was get points in the board and it was go to red bow ring and see what happens there because the bike is fast the bike can stop well and in theory they should be in for a good two weeks now the sort of default setting for red bull ring this coming weekend and week after so there's a double header in austria uh is you sort mm-hmm. of go to ducati and if it's not ducati it's honda well, it ain't going to be one of them at the moment, is it? <laughs> <laughs> so I've, I've, I've made this point for a while. Uh, there's a, a myth that it's a never Yamaha track. But the last two years, there's been satellite Yamahas on the podium there with both Quartararo and Zarco. It's not that bad a track for them, especially this year when the bike's a little bit faster. Uh, it'll be a little bit cooler. Uh, than it has been at any race we've had this season. The Yamahas won't be too far away. The Suzukis won't be too far away. But genuinely, I think we're looking at KTM being the favourite going into this weekend's race. And the winner of the Austrian Grand Prix in 2019 Moto2 class was a man from South Africa, Brad Binder. Exactly. He knows what to do around there. Paul is going to be out for blood. Uh, Zarco will be happy to show what he can do on a satellite Ducati, even if the factories can't make their rear tyres work. And then there's one other thing to throw into the mix as well, because the weather forecast says it's going to rain. In which case, step forward Jack Miller and Delilo Petrucci. To continue the domination of MotoGP at the Red Bull ring in its in its current guise, because we've been there for mm-hmm. the last four years, yes. Ducati taking a clean sweep. So... No pressure, Mr. Zarko, Mr. Miller. Mm. Wow. I, I, If it rains, I'd be happy putting money on a Ducati victory, but not with Davizioso on the bike. They probably won't take your money. <laughs> they probably Ducati, won't. Ducati have the benefit of going to a track where they've had a clean sweep with two riders who are supremely good in the rain. Yeah. Let's yeah. see what happens. Yeah. yeah. The trouble is, when it does rain there... Oh, yeah. Biblical. Your van's gonna float away, Simon. <laughs> we went there. We went there in 1996, and uh, it was the A1 ring in those days. Yeah. And it rained on the Saturday, and it kept raining, and it was that heavy rain when even if you ran 20 you still, meters yeah. from a building to a building, you just got utterly soaked. Yeah. But they'd only just finished making the paddock and they'd only just finished the earthworks around the edge of the tarmac area that is oh, the paddock. Dear. So, of course, the grass hadn't started to grow, so it didn't bind the soil together. The, 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 the pits is, by definition, at the bottom of the hill. So all yeah. the water ran down and there was a gully that channeled the water underneath the tarmac paddock. And that gully, that, that pipe, that gully was big enough for me to stand in. Mm-hmm. So no jokes, please. Five foot eight. So, and uh, it was filling up and filling up and filling up and it couldn't take any more. And I was in the Dunlop truck speaking to all the boys because yeah. they're local from around me. 
And uh, and it came up, and then the pipe said, I'm not taking any more water, and it just came straight over the top, and it washed all the way down the paddock, and Lucky Strike Suzuki had about three inches of silt, not water, silt, in their garage. Amazing. There was nothing on track um, that I can remember, (laughs) particularly not on Saturday afternoon, and the Marlboro Yamaha press release just said, Nice weather for frogs. <laughs> and John michel Bale was riding for them. Super. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But uh, those, those are my early memories of the, uh, the A1 ring <laughs> before it turned into the, uh, into the Red Bull ring. So, no, it'll be an interesting Grand Prix. An interesting Grand yes, Prix, to say the least. This season is, is quite something. It's, it's staggering. You know, I, I, I read this morning that Brad Binder was 50 to 1 to win the Grand Prix yesterday. And somebody will have bought themselves a very nice oh, drink. One of my social media followers had uh, $10 on him, money in the bank. Well, what a weekend, Simon. What a weekend for MotoGP, but more importantly, what a weekend for MotoGP fans the world over. And uh, yeah, Simon, I, I've been working in and around MotoGP since 1996. Never before have I wanted to be in that paddock. Never before have I just wanted to watch everything so much. It gets better and better every race. 2020, it's been difficult for many people around the world and you know, very serious things have happened. But my goodness me, what a, what a relief to have something so entertaining as MotoGP 2020. It's fantastic as we now go to Austria. And here's the best thing about it. We get to do it all over again next week and the week after. <laughs> in amongst the mountains. Indeed. Do keep in touch with the-race.com to see Simon Patterson's everyday words about MotoGP and the ins and outs of what's going on. I will be doing a podcast soon with Neil Spaulding, technical guru of MotoGP and the man who is MotoGPTechnology.com. And Neil and I are going to talk about the technical viewpoint of what's going on in MotoGP 2020 and why Honda are struggling, why Honda have riders that can't ride a Honda such as Marc Marquez does. Why has the KTM been so quick and winning this third Grand Prix of 2020 in it, in only its fourth year from scratch. What is going on with Yamaha? Why have they lost so many engines in the works bikes? So Neil and I will be recording something very soon. So do make sure you like and subscribe to this podcast wherever you download them, and then they'll automatically get into your phone or device. Simon Patterson, thank you so much. We look forward to this weekend. Pleasure as always, and cannot wait to see what happens. In the meantime, from myself, Toby Moody, keep in touch with us here at therace.com. We'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye for now. <laughs>